Many thanks to Supergirl, who continues to be a sponsor of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Supergirl, that's S-O-U-P-E-R-G-I-R-L, is a nationwide soup delivery service. Most importantly, their soups are delicious. They are a locally owned, women-owned company local to the DC area, but they ship nationwide. And as a sponsor, they have offered us a code, RUN20, for 20% off your total order. I know that Supergirl has always been a go-to source of meals for me and my family. We use them as a compliment to dinner and their heartier soups make a perfect lunch, especially in the fall or winter. They're great fueling for running and their soups taste really amazing. They're vegan, kosher, and organic too. So check out Supergirl at supergirl.com and use the code RUN20. Thanks for Supergirl for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How's it going this week? Uh, it's going well. It's I uh, can't believe like the whole week has passed by. This week has flown by, um, but it's getting colder out. So um, it's is my I don't actually love the transition to cold weather running, but um, today was the first morning that I actually had to wear my run mitts, which I love. I had to pull them out, but um, run mitts are, are they're a sponsor of our podcast, but also one of our favorite products that we've always been recommending to our runners, especially in the winter. Um, uh, really uh, innovative uh, mittens, or not gloves, or mittens that fold over your hand and you can actually fold them back when, like today was a perfect example. When I went out, it was really cold. They have little pockets inside where you can put hand warmers. So I had to break out my hand warmers for the first time in the season. I put them in there. And then once I got going, it got a little warmer as the sun came up. So I just flipped back the top. And um, so it's kind of like a convertible for your for your hands. And um, I I love my run mitts. I know you like yours too. I think you said you wore yours yesterday. And we, um, as a sponsor of a podcast, they provide this um, with a code. So if anyone wants to try them, the code is RFF10 for 10% off. And we can put the link to the Run Mitts website in our show notes. Look at you plugging right off the bat. I love it. So, so <laughs> authentic and true. I certainly did wear mine yesterday and today because the temperatures were in the 30s yesterday and today, which was a shock to both of our systems after the last uh, basically six months of running and basically 50s, 60s and above. So yeah, but I think, uh, you know, we need to, to face the reality that we're in November and uh, we got to get hardy again. And I'm, I'm grateful to Susan Clayton and her product Run Mist for that. And um, yeah, so this is post Halloween and I'm sure like you, I'm, I'm getting a little extra carbohydrates and fuel this week from stealing candy from my kids. <laughs> and, uh, you know, interestingly, two of my kids did not trick or treat this year. They did other things with friends and um, my younger one did trick or treat, but her candy is stored up in her room somewhere, which I have to go make sure that that's taken care of and that gets out of her room. But we did have an extra bag of candy and luckily I bought stuff that I like. So um, yeah, we've definitely broken into that. Well, I got nervous this year because we live in a neighborhood. We get a ton of trick or treaters and a over the years, I've done the calculations and I generally need about a thousand pieces of candy if I want to give out two pieces. I just feel stingy just giving out one per kid. So I give out usually two, a little more. So I like to have a thousand. And my mom was visiting this weekend. Sorry, mom, to sell you out. My mom, like me, <laughs> loves candy. And we opened the bag and, and it was already open, you know, admittedly from the week before and everyone had a little bit, but I got nervous that we didn't have enough. So I was like, I'll just get a couple more bags just in case. So I went to um, Safeway and CVS last week. I think it was actually 
October 30th to pick up some additional candy. And there was nothing, like nothing on the shelves that was individually wrapped. So I ended up getting Christmas candy. I got Christmas Hershey's Kisses to add to our stockpile. And we ended up having plenty. So now I have an unopened bag of Hershey's Christmas Kisses that I'm sure will come in handy next month. Uh, so yeah, that's my candy story. This wouldn't make it to next month in my house. <laughs> this would not. That's one candy. Like the Laffy Taffy, the pop, oh, these so uh, lollipops, Jolly Ranchers. Those will those could last a year. But if I had a bag of Hershey Kisses in my house, it might not last. So yeah, those Laffy Taffies are disgusting. I took those actually out of Ella's stash because she has braces, and I don't want to be back in Dr. Fritz's office more than necessary. And I could see her trying to finagle that one. So I just took all those out and like, like your kids, Noah didn't trick or treat this year. He's way too old, but we still had a shit ton of candy and um, I'm going to have to manage that. I, I usually get sick of it by the second week. So I think it'll be okay, but yeah, I've had a little more uh, carbohydrates to fuel my running this week. I'm sure you have too. Yes, you know, I have for sure. So, <laughs> now, so let's talk about what's going on in running, running this week. Uh, uh, BAA made a big announcement yesterday, was it yesterday, yesterday, this week, um, about the field size. There'd been a lot of speculation of whether it would be back to normal size this past year. They downsized it from about 30-ish thousand to 20,000. And then really there were only, I think, like right about 16,000 finishers. Um, news came out though that the field size will be back to 30,000 and there will be a requirement that everybody be vaccinated. Um, so on the numbers side, uh, th that gives a lot of people um, some reassurance that the buffer will be smaller than last year because the buffer last year was over seven minutes because of the reduced field size. Uh, ended up having extra spaces because of uh, people who could make it international runners and um, more people ended up getting in, but that buffer was really big. So everyone was sort of worried about the buffer and that bigger number this year gives us a little more confidence that that buffer should be back to normal-ish, which is usually in like the two to three minute range. Um, so it'd be interesting to see, um, but what's been really um, interesting to me and uh, really actually fascinating has been the responses to the uh, vaccine requirement that we've seen. Yeah, I, I commend the BAA. I mean, look, they, they took a stand and said anyone who wants to run Boston needs to be vaccinated. And, and I think it was absolutely the right call. And if you don't want to get vaccinated, find another race. There's plenty of races that uh, will accept entrants who are not vaccinated and will, like last time, likely, especially the bigger races, ask for a PCR. And Boston decided to, to get away from a PCR test and boldly said, just be vaccinated. So yeah, we're here for the comments. We've seen a lot over the last uh, few days since the BAA made that announcement. And given that 93% of the Boston field was vaccinated for this last race in October, 2021, I believe that many of the comments may come from people who didn't run Boston and may, maybe they're runners, maybe not, but I feel like they're might be some people that just traveled over to the Boston world to comment about the vaccination stance of the BAA. But I am I am behind it. I commend the BAA and, and let's go. And I'm excited that the field is 30,000. Um, I know our runners are super excited and I'm going to make a prediction that the buffer this year, it's all races from fall 2019 um, until October 2021 
I'm going to make the uh, prediction that the buffer is going to be somewhere around two to three minutes. How about you, Lisa? I'm going to be a little bit bolder and say it may be a little lower. That, that's my, my guess is that it may be closer to one to two minutes. We'll see. Um, I think that the field size, um, you know, going back to normal, but I think some other, um, you know, other um, considerations will come into play. I'm not sure if international runners are going to be gun shy about coming back. Um, you know, I know a lot this year weren't able to run it because of travel restrictions, which have been lifted, but who knows if, you know, how people feel about traveling, traveling internationally. Um, I think that some people who did it in October may just not be in a position to do it again so quickly, whether physical training or, you know, financially, it's an expensive as we know, it's an expensive endeavor for hotels and travel. And, um, you know, that's, a, it's a big expense and a big family commitment. It's also holiday weekend. So it's Easter Sunday, it's um, beginning of Passover. So all of those may come into play. And now that there's this vaccine requirement, maybe there, even if it's 7% of the field, there may be a number of people who decide not to run it this year. So my guess is going to be one to two minutes, but it will be very interesting to see what that buffer is. All right. Well, I like your prediction better. So let's go with that. I can get behind that. No problem. So let's go. Like to that. More people, more people who qualify able to enter the race. Absolutely. So for those wondering, um, we will of course be doing a, a many Boston specific episodes as we always do leading up to the Boston marathon. For those who just came off of a fall marathon schedule, we encourage you to continue not training for a marathon quite yet. Just use this time to regroup. And we talked about that a lot in our, our last few episodes. But just a reminder, you don't need to, to do anything marathon specific right now. Just um, if you're nursing any kind of injury, now's the time to take care of those little things. Now's the time to think about your strength training, do all the little things. So Come late December to January, you are ready to go to train for Boston in April 2022. We always say it's better to get to the start line a little undercooked than overcooked. And this year is that's particularly important because there will be more runners than usual coming off of a fall marathon season, given how many fall marathons there's been. Speaking of which, this is a really exciting weekend coming up with the New York City Marathon and I'm excited to be on the back end and talk more about that next week, but I am just so amazed specifically by Shalane Flanagan and what she's done. I have loved following her journey. She has really um, in inspired so many because this is a woman who had not one, but two knee replacements over the past few years, adopted a beautiful baby boy and also put out a cookbook and had a lot of changes in her coaching career. And here she is setting some goals that are truly unrelated to her professional career, just to make her happy. And look what she's done. And she's running so joyfully. And it really goes to show that if you're in a great place in your life and you're setting goals that are meaningful to you and you're able to run with joy, you can really do things that you never expected. So I am super curious to see what happens this weekend in New York. I believe because she's had a longer break between her virtual Tokyo and New York uh, versus her previous marathons where she had to do them closer together. I think she's going to achieve her PR out of the six majors with this race, especially because it's New York. And of course she won New York. And I'm wondering when she crosses the finish line, if she will uh, redo the uh, uh, F yes quote that has been quoted around the world that she did when she won the race. What do you think? <laughs> uh, that's great. I think that's a great idea. 
I think she suggests that if she hasn't already considered it, but that's, I, I think it's going to be really fun to watch. And we have some runners up there running. Um, so I've already got the app installed on my phone and tracking, tracking Same. the set. So I can't wait. It'll be fun. That'll be, that'll be, be fun. fun to do. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. So next up, we have a, a really amazing guest. Uh, it's Kelly Redmond. And many of our runners already know Kelly because Kelly, of course, provides the strength training enhancements that we provide in all of our training plans. Uh, Kelly is also one of our trainers. We train with Kelly. We love her videos. We love her workouts, including her strength and mobility workouts. And she is, of course, the owner of Team Fit. She is an amazing runner as well. And she's the Wooten track and cross country coach, Wooten High School in our area. Kelly uh, has also been a past podcast guest. She was a guest um, in episode 39. So if you haven't listened yet, go back and listen to that to hear about Kelly's life story. She is an amazing master's runner and coach. And um, Kelly was also a guest on our panel that we did last January, Running Through Menopause. Uh, but we have Kelly on today for a different reason. And that is because Kelly uh, had an unexpected health odyssey this fall that she has generously offered to come on the podcast and talk about. This was something Kelly wanted to do. She really feels strongly that by sharing her story, if she can help just one person, it's worth it. Uh, we are just in awe of Kelly and uh, her tremendous comeback after an unbelievable setback. And we're so proud of her and so honored that she decided to come on to our little show and talk about what happened. And so I really, I'm still struggling with the words to describe what it felt like to hear her story. But all I can say is it just embodies courage. And we hope everyone who listens will take the time to not only hear what she's saying, but also understand that vulnerability often is one's greatest strength. And Kelly embodies strength. And She's had to be vulnerable over the past few months. And to us, that is what really shows her tremendous strength and courage. Yeah, I agree. And I just think it's a really another really good reminder that um, we can't take our health for granted. And we need to also take the time to, to focus on ourselves. Many of us are busy running around taking care of others, busy with work, and we don't often take the time to take care of ourselves. And it's a, just an important reminder that no matter how... Uh, healthy we think we are or how um, well we're living our lives and um, fit and taking care of ourselves in terms of our exercise and what we eat um, and even, you know, regular checkups, but um, listening to our bodies and taking that time to um, be our best advocates and, and talk to our doctors and make sure that we're getting the answers that, um, you know, that we think we need. Absolutely. And before I forget, I just want to say one addendum and that is we mentioned the interview a previous episode that Kelly listened to from one of our previous podcast guests and one of our runners uh, who we adore, Rod. And Rod is episode 24, where he shares his health odyssey. So that's two past episodes. Um, if anyone hasn't listened, episode 24 and episode 39, that kind of provides some context. But Rod, you helped Kelly tremendously. So if you're listening, thank you. And uh, Kelly will reference that as well. So without further ado, we will toss it over to our conversation with Kelly. 
And Lisa, I hope you have a great week. I look forward to recapping um, our runners New York experience next week. I'm looking forward to it as well and wanted to add one quick pitch for our next group run from Lululemon in Gaithersburg for anyone who is local. That is on Saturday, November 13th at 9 a.m. It's our, we had our first return to group running last month or this, this past month in October and November, our date is the 13th. So if you're local, add it to your calendar. We'll mention it again next week, but we'd love to have runners of all levels and abilities. We do uh, usually find a closed loop to do so you can do as many loops as you feel up to and um, we end up getting to mingle and hang out with some of our, our favorite local running friends. So add it to your calendar. Allie Redmond, welcome back to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Uh, for those of you who haven't yet listened to our first episode with Kelly, that's episode 39 on our podcast. Please go back and listen. It's a great listen all about Kelly. And then, of course, she was one of our special guests on our Running Through Menopause webinar that we did back in January. So Kelly, we um, always just love having you on the podcast. And of course, we'll dig deeper into this as well, but you're also a huge part of our training and that you provide the strength training for our runners. So it's really just such a treat to have you on today and um, welcome back. So before we get started, just for a little review, just if you wouldn't mind giving our listeners a little bit of an overview of who you are and what you do. Yeah, my name's, thank you, first of all, for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. It's always great to see you guys. Um, this is a little bit different than what I would expect to be on for today, but I think it will be beneficial to people. Um, so yeah, my name's Kelly Redmond. I, um, I mean, I've been a runner myself since I was 10 and I'm, into my 50s now. Um, so I've been participating with running and racing for many years. Um, and in addition, I uh, am a high school cross country coach at Wooten um, and been coaching there for 16 years. Um, and then I'm also a trainer, um, a personal trainer, and I teach classes as well. Um, and I really, you know, like you guys have helped me a lot with sort of pulling me into your group because I've really found this passion of wanting to help runners get stronger, you know, and it sort of pulls together everything I believe in, in terms of running, running healthy and being a strong runner. And so, you know, I got to thank you guys for really sort of, you guys have sort of helped me shape my little business with that too, that I find, I mean, I love training all, all, all people, but that in itself has really been something that I found exceptionally enjoyable. So, well, we always feel fortunate to have our friendship and our relationship with you because, you know, when we're coaching our runners, it's not just about the running, it's about the strength. We know, we know that. And especially as we get older and so having, you know, you as a resource and your videos that have really helped a lot of our runners and um, particularly mobility, you introduced us to mobility and we have, um, you know, that in turn passed that along to our runners. And so many of our runners have told us that it makes such a difference in their running. And I have a little funny story. We've told you this before, but we have runners who see your videos and do your videos. And then um, one of our runners was out running not far from your house, I guess, one day. And she got back and wrote in her run. I I think I saw Kelly Redmond out. I heard her voice and I recognized it from the from the videos. And she said it was like, you know, it was like a star sighting that oh she had. So you're the rock star. You're a rock star of our program. Oh, and um, really, you are 
you are the um, model of health. You're you're a, an amazing runner. You've been on the racing team with us. You are a coach. You are a trainer. You're super fit yourself. Um, so uh, you know, we wanted to have you on today to kind of tell your story of what's happened to you recently and what you've been through, and hopes that it will um, you know help others and shed a light on um, what you went through and um, you know, bring awareness. So why don't you kind of back us up a little bit and um, take us back a few months and tell us what you've been through in the, the past several months. Yeah, um, it's been a interesting journey and very, very, very unexpected. Um, I'd say probably like late June, I was, I was noticing that I was exercising and things just felt a little bit harder for me than I think would have been under normal circumstances. Um, just, you know, uh, uh, you know, in hindsight, you know, things definitely were more challenging than I think they should have been. Uh, but I didn't, you know, everyone goes through phases of those things and you're kind of up and down. Sometimes I didn't think much of it, but then I would say, so maybe that was mid-June. By the end of June, I was starting to feel, um, when I would exercise, um, like acid reflux and I would, you know, it was bothersome, but not entirely debilitating. It was just bothersome. And I noticed, and I tried all sorts of things, sorts of things. Don't drink like tea before I exercise, like all these things. I just thought it was something I was eating. I was like, why is this happening? I, as soon as I sort of try to exert myself over a certain heart rate, it seemed to get worse. And, um, but again, I wasn't like I was calling the a doctor to talk about it. It was just sort of a little bit bothersome. And I honestly just thought it was going to go away. Well, I, now it's mid July and still happening. And I had a physical scheduled. Um, so I, I just went to my physical, you know, did all my blood work, all that. Um, by the way, things came back except very good, uh, cholesterol, very, very good, uh, no issues. And I just happened to say to my doctor at the end, in passing almost like, by the way, this is happening when I'm exercising, you know, again, it still wasn't this thing that I was really, you know, occupying too much of my brain. And I just explained it to her and she said, oh, you know, sometimes that's common. You're getting older and you might, you know, you're whatever flap, you know, like you might be, you know, as you exercise, have you exert yourself, some, some things from your stomach might be going up into your esophagus and, you know, maybe it's just really irritated right now. Here is a prescription. Take this in the morning. If this doesn't help, then you should go see a GI doctor. So I spent a few weeks taking that like in the morning thinking, okay, this is it. This is going to help. This is going to calm everything down. And, um, it didn't. In fact, it was getting worse. And I thought, what the heck is going on here? You know, now I'm starting to think about it more. And um, so I made an appointment with a GI doctor. Um, and as we all know, it's hard to get in places these days. So I was waiting for this appointment. Um, and in, in the meantime, <laughs> So I'm waiting for this appointment and things are definitely getting worse. Like the, the feeling is getting worse. I'm starting to feel it not only when I just exercise and I think about things that I was doing and it scares me. Um, and the reason it's well, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll go back to that, but so I'm waiting for this GI appointment, continuing to exercise. And I, 
remember exactly where I was in my house when I, I, I was walking down the hallway. My husband was in the kitchen and I was walking down the hallway. I swear like divine intervention and it just hit me. This could be a cardiac problem. And I walked into the kitchen and I said to my husband, and I do have a cardiologist and I'll, and I'll explain that here in a moment, but I walked in the kitchen and I said, I, I think I should send Dr. Flyer an email about this. And he's like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. And I went, it was a Friday. I distinctly remember this. It was, I mean, I'm, everything is very clear to me. It was a Friday and I just sat down in the, it was in the morning and I just typed out an email, very casual. Hey, I know I haven't seen you in a while, but just this is happening. It feels very, um, very much GI related, but this is what I'm feeling. And um, I have an appointment with a GI doctor coming up, but I just thought I'd run it by you too. And just if you had any thoughts on it, sent the email and basically kind of forgot about it, went on with my day. Um, and then all of a sudden my phone rings and it's him and um, my cardiologist, Dr. Flyer. And he just says, Kelly, I do not like what you just explained to me in your email. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, it was just, it was shocking. It was shocking to like have, because my brain still wasn't there. It was just sort of this flash of a moment of like, this could be a cardiac thing. I mean, I honestly, I, yeah. So he said he didn't like what he heard. He thought, you know, he asked me more questions. We talked a little bit more about it. It was a Friday and he said, I'm going out of town next week. Um, but I need you to make, I, I he, no, I didn't even have to call. He said, I'm going to talk to my scheduler and get you set up for a stress test. As soon as I get back, just hold tight and you will hear from me um, and letting you know when it's going to be. And so I, um, you know, now I'm like, okay, is this something I should be concerned about? Still though, I wasn't really, I, my husband came home that evening and I said, Hey, you know, Dr. Flyer called me. Um, he thinks this could be something that we need to look more into. And he was like, really? And I, we both were just still like, this is crazy. And then I went to my GI, the, the GI appointment happened to be the next week, the week the cardiologist was on vacation. So I still went thinking, okay, this is I'm going to talk to them. We're going to, I'm going to get an endoscopy. This is going to be fine. Well, I sat in that appointment explaining everything. And the doctor looked at me and just said, this sounds like a cardiac problem. And I, that's when it sort of more hit me. I like definitely started, was very emotional in that appointment. Like, are you serious? Like you, and she was just said, I cannot do anything at all about this until you are cleared from your cardio cardiologist. We can't schedule anything. I, I like, I just, I, before you, before you continue, just a question, what made your, um, gastroenterologist think based on your description that you thought was a digestive problem until you had that fleeting moment in the hallway? What do you think made that doctor think it was a cardiac problem based on your description? I think a lot of it was because it was, it was all happening mostly upon exertion was a big part of it. Um, and I think at this point now, well, I do know, 
I probably wasn't fully ex like accepting it yet, but at this point I was starting to feel the pressure in the chest too, like along with the, um, you know, that feeling of like that GI feeling of acid reflux or something. So, and I don't remember if I said it out loud or not, to be honest, but I think it was more like the whole, this happens under exertion was a big thing for her. It wasn't, that was the main time it was happening. So, you know, she said, I shouldn't exercise anymore. The cardiologist, when I spoke to him on the phone said, I don't want you exercising anymore until I see you. And did I entirely take that to heart? Maybe not. <laughs> so I went out in that week prior to um, seeing him, I went out for, I, I told my husband, I'm going to just run a little bit and just see. And, um, he said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a few minutes. I'm going to, I'm going to jump on the bike and just come and check on you, you know? And so I live right off beach drive. It would have to be, you know, it was like the Sunday after I talked to the cardiologist. Now I'm, now I'm forgetting exactly when it was, but anyway, I went out on this run. My husband was going to bike check on me and I went out and I was, I noted on my watch, it took three minutes for me to start this feeling. And then, but it wasn't terrible, but I kept going. And then it got to the point of like, I felt pain going down my left arm and I stopped and I just thought, what is going on here? And I turned around and started to walk home. Well, in the meantime, a couple of my running friends came running up like behind me and stopped and they're like, what's going on? And I hadn't really shared a lot of this with people at this point. And I just broke down crying and I said, I don't know. And this is what I'm feeling and this is what's happening. And um, anyway, long story short, I got home. I don't think I exercised the rest of that week. I can't say hundred percent sure. I definitely didn't run. I may have gone down my basement and done a little something, but I definitely did not run anymore. And then that Monday, so I had that week where the cardiologist was on vacation. Then I, they got me in that Monday for a, um, an echo stress test, which is they put you on a table and they do an echo on your heart. They look at your heart. Um, it's like an ultrasound kind of thing, but you know, and nothing jumped out at that point. So a tech does that and records everything, looks at everything, nothing jumped out. And then, you know, you're hooked up to the EKG, then you get off the table and you get on the treadmill and, um, they just started the treadmill started going, you know, cardiologist in there, we're talking, you know, um, he, and very quickly on something weird came up on the EKG, like a flutter kind of a, just, and like early on before I really started feeling anything. Um, and he said, Oh boy, do you feel that? And I did, I felt that. And I said, yes. Um, but then it went away and I went back to like a normal rhythm. Um, and then he kept going with things. He added incline, adding, you know, adding, um, you know, faster pace. And I started feeling it. And he said, do you feel any symptoms? I said, yes. And he said, if you were at home, would you keep going at this point? I said, yes. 
this isn't bad. Like I, I feel a little something, but it's nothing. Um, and he wanted to get my heart rate up to a certain point. That was the big thing to get up to this certain point so that they could really look and because what they do is they take you off the treadmill, put you immediately back on the treadmill or on the table and do another echocardiogram to see how your heart is working under exertion. So, um, so he kept having to add more incline and speed it up. And then I start to feel it. And then I start feeling it more to the point that I said out loud, I'm scared. Like the feeling that I felt was like crushing, like somebody was sitting on my chest. Like it was, and he said, you don't need to worry. We're monitoring you. This is the best place you can be, but I've got to get your heart rate up higher. And I mean, it, at that point, I think I knew that it was more than a GI problem. And, but it's like one of those things where until you hear it, it doesn't really sink in because I was going to that appointment that day and I was so happy to be going to like rule it out in my head, in the back of my head, I thought I'm ruling this out. I'm going to leave here today. I'm going to go home. I'm going to email the GI people. I'm going to say, get me on your, you know, I want to get this, um, endoscopy done and I want to get this thing figured out. And I, so even, and it's until you hear the words, you're still, even though I'm, I go back on the table and still I'm not, I, I mean, I, I feel like I know, it, but until you hear it and I'm laying there and the tech is doing the echo and the doctor's like looking at the screen and the conversation they're having is, yep, I see that. Yep. Yep. I, I see that. I see what you, I see it. And then he's like, quickly get it over to this other section of the heart, you know, because they need to look at it when your heart rate's high enough still. And they got over to the other section and they, they couldn't see everything they wanted to see because the heart rate was dropping too quickly. And anyway, they sat me up on the table. They're still talking and they're sort of like, you know, doctor talk a little bit, you know, like enough that I knew something was wrong and I'm sitting on the edge of the table and I just like lose it. I'm shaking now. And he steps in front of me and says, well, I, um, we've seen enough to know that we have to look into this more. We need to take the next step. That's what he said. He said, we need, we've seen enough that we need to take the next step. Um, so I want you to get dressed and come in my office. And um, I mean, I'm shaking and sobbing, like getting my clothes back on. I quickly text my husband saying, I'm scared. They just saw something, um, you know, I'll let you know as soon as I know. And, um, you know, he texted back saying, you need to call me as soon as you can. And anyway, so I went into his office and he said, look, um, you know, you had three things. He said, one, we saw that little blip on the EKG that I didn't love. Two, um, we saw weakness in a side, in one side of your heart under exertion. It showed weakness. Um, and three, most importantly, he said, I saw you experience the symptoms. And those three lead me to believe that you probably have a blockage in one of your arteries and um, we need to do something about that. And he talked about two options. 
you know, they could do, um, I knew I was going to forget the name of this one. Um, I can't remember this one thing that they can do they, to look at for the blocked arteries. I'm losing the name of it right now. Um, Angiogram? No, that's what I did end up doing. There's another non-invasive things that they can look at to see the blocked arteries, but then he suggest he, but then he said, but or the angiogram, he said, because if there is a blocked artery, I'm already in there and I can do something about it. So I said, well, I choose that one because I want to get it taken care of. And he said, I said, when is this? going to be happening. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to live the, the next couple of weeks like this, like worrying about it. And he said, uh, tomorrow at one o'clock, you're going, he had already scheduled it from the time I got dressed to going into his office. He had scheduled me to go in there and he, um, called my husband on speakerphone and told him everything. And I'm just sitting there in it literally felt like I was disconnected from my body. I'm sitting in his office and it was like, this is not like, this is everything I, re I feel like I try to represent and everything I feel like I, um, sort of live my life by like, how, how is this happening to me? Like, how, like, and I still, I'm talking about it right now. And it still feels like it's not entirely happened to me. Like it doesn't feel like it just feels how, like how I've like from a young age chose to live like, like I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that, but I like I've make, made these choices in my life of, and I'm thinking, how is this happening? How, how is it that I am dealing with something like this? Kelly, and, did you have any family history of, of heart issues or had you had, a, you had mentioned you had a cardiologist before, but did you have any heart issues before that would you know, make you even suspect that this could be an issue? So no, well, to answer your first question, there is no family history of this, which is the most shocking part um, about it. My parents are both still living, they're in their eighties, neither one of them have stents, neither one of them have had heart attacks. Um, you know, they're in their eighties, They are they on medication now? Yes. But are they active and healthy still? Yes. Um, grandparents lived well and late into their life. I mean, my grandma died of a heart attack at 91. So, you know, it's hard to, you know, I guess my mom was saying like, there's a great grandma that probably could, but that again, no, no, like aunts and uncles, major issues. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. And it's been baffling to the doctors too. However, the one risk factor that I have, um, you know, I'm not overweight. I don't smoke. I don't have diabetes. I exercise. I, I eat well, like these things. But the one risk factor that I have is I have had strange bouts of high blood pressure. Um, I don't, also confusing because my parents didn't have it as at a young age. Um, and it just is something like that I've dealt with. I never, I didn't have it when I was pregnant, like just strange that I've dealt with this because again, of my lifestyle and I, eight years ago about, I think it was, I decided to go completely vegan, um, to thinking, okay, well, any, anything that I'm 
eating meat wise or whatever, maybe contributing to this. And anyway, long story short, that only it didn't, you know, I had been on blood pressure medication, um, not a high dose, you know, I was under control. I hadn't even seen the cardiologist in a couple of years, just took this blood pressure medication. It was hard for me to swallow that when that happened, because again, I'm thinking how is, why do I have this? And it just was something I had to kind of accept. So, you know, I would say that that's the one risk factor I had, but I thought it was under control. And um, I would kind of joke, like, I just kind of run hot. Like, that's how I get stuff done in my life, you know, <laughs> like just, you know. Um, but as you yeah. process this, do you, do you think about the fact that, you know, you were, you were dealt this, for lack of a better word, shitty deck with respect to what happened, but I would like to believe that because of your healthy lifestyle, it wasn't worse because you do live yes. a life that is, you know, everything you do from the way you live, what you do for a living, the way you eat, all of that played a part in the reason why you're here telling your story today. Yes. I, I've, I've flipped back and forth between being very, very thankful and then being, you know, a little angry, like, <laughs> You know, like there's been back of that. I would say I'm more grateful than anything. There, there's so many things that I've learned in this whole journey and from communities being supportive to, I mean, just to like my husband and what he's, so many things. Like I could have a whole episode on how grateful I am for things. Um, but yes, I've thought about that a number of times. Like, I mean, I could have been, having a heart attack at 40, if I would have not been living the way the life I have been living. So I am grateful for that for sure. Um, yes. So, um, I guess to carry on. So I went to the hospital the next day and, um, uh, you know, I guess the, the hardest part was like not knowing what they're going to find. It was super nerve wracking for me because, everybody seemed so perplexed by why I was even in this situation, uh, my cardiologist included, um, that when I was waiting for this procedure, um, I mean, I was really nervous because I, and, and like nurses would come in as they're prepping me and they're trying to assure me like, this is, this is something that they do all the time. This is a safe procedure no need to worry. I said, it's not the procedure I'm worried about. It's what they might find that I'm worried about because this isn't, doesn't make sense. And I was so nervous that they were going to go in and find out something horrible, you know, like, yeah. And, and so, you know, it, the cardiologist was, you know, he's great. Dr. Flyer is amazing. I would highly recommend him to anybody. I mean, he's spent so many, he spent so much time with me. Um, but he, you know, he talked to me a long time beforehand and talked to my husband and was like, I just think you're, we're going to go in and we're going to find a blockage and we're going to get it taken care of. And you're going to live a long life and everything's going to be fine. And we don't really know why this happened and blah, blah, blah. So I don't, so you're, so when they do this procedure, you are awake. <laughs> I mean, 
That was my next question because I remember my dad, like, you know, you're sedated, right? But like a little bit, but they, you know what's going on, right? Because they put it you know what's going the on. Groin. No, they went up through my wrist, <laughs> my wrist. Okay. Um, and you do know what's going on. And that also was my concern. You know, I'm imagining being awake and hearing, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting this or something like that, you know, like there's these concerns. Like, I don't want to hear that conversation. I did hear a lot. And let me tell you, I am a, I am, you know, I like a glass of wine and so forth, but like, I, I don't, I have a pretty low tolerance. Let me just tell you the amount of drugs that it took to get me like calm down. He said he could not believe what he had to give me because my tap, my, like, I think I had so much adrenaline going on. They took me in there. I kept saying, you know, give me more, give me more. So they're, I'm in there, they go up through my right, my, my right wrist, um, into the heart, there's screens, multiple screens up and I, I know what's going on. I, I see what's going on. I see these screens. And at one point he said to me, I'm calm enough now that I, he said, do you need do you need more drugs? And I said, um, this is super fascinated, if, fascinating if it wasn't my heart. So yes, please do that. Give me more. Um, because it is sort of fascinating. The whole thing, I mean, they go in, they can look at all your arteries. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, but I knew something was going not great when he had, and I don't know, because again, I'm sort of half in, half out but he had a colleague in there and they, he stopped and had this long, not long, it probably wasn't long at all, but he had this discussion with a colleague to the point that I knew that I said, what's going on, what's going on? And he, you know, came over to me and said, I just wanted to discuss how to handle something with a trusted colleague. And, and I'm thinking this is not going well. This can't be going well if he's having conversation. Um, Anyway, long story short, they had to put four stents in, which is a lot. It's a lot. Um, I had multiple blockages um, in the LAD, it was 80%. And then a branch going off that artery was also had a blockage. And then in the right, PDA, there was a 95% blockage and, and then I think there's one other blockage that he didn't do anything about that's too far distal. So the four stents were sort of put in two arteries, but back to back, like to reach these areas that like the one had two and the other one, I don't recall why they were back to back, to be honest, but the, I mean, the bottom line is I could have died, you know? Um, I mean, the one 95%, he said that's where the symptoms were coming from. I probably wasn't even feeling the 80% one yet, potentially, you know, but God only knows how much longer I would have gone until something really horrid would have happened. Um, and I think about, the things that I mentioned this earlier, the things that I was doing 
with these symptoms. And one of the worst things that I think back on about two weeks before I had the stress test, we were in Smith Mountain Lake, which is nothing in Virginia. Um, I think we probably 45 minutes to an hour away from a hospital. And one, I was leading classes for all it's, we go with Terry's, my husband's entire side of his family. And I do exercise stuff every morning for them, but I was leading those. Those weren't the things that scared me as much, but I went water skiing and it was, I was out in the lake water skiing. And I mean, I felt, I could not catch my breath. I, I remember feeling this in hindsight, it was pressure in my chest. I don't think it registered as that, but I remember thinking, I, I can I cannot catch my breath. And I was water skiing behind the boat. And I remember putting my hand up and like, take me back, take me back. And like, they didn't right away because they were like, she's only been out here a couple minutes. What's going on? And I was like, no, take me back, take me back. And they rolled me back. I mean, and I remember getting like, finishing the water skiing and my husband saying, are you like, he couldn't believe how hard I was breathing. Like, I don't, I go, I don't know what's wrong. Like I couldn't catch my breath. Like I needed to go back. I felt like I couldn't hang on any longer. And I just think about, I mean, we were so far away from a hospital. I was in the middle of a lake. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's really hard to like, think about those things. And, um, but I'm thankful that nothing terrible happened and that, you know, I did listen to my body and reach out. Um, and, and I'm also very, very thankful that my cardiologist took me seriously because I don't think anybody would have expected this and anybody could have just said, oh, it's probably nothing. You're maybe you're, are you stressed or, but he took me very serious and got me in right away to figure out what was wrong. So um, very thankful for that. <laughs> we're very thankful too that he took you seriously. And we're also, in listening to your story, there's a pattern to me. And that is number one, you continually listen to your body, even though you share a story about how you felt you put yourself in a dangerous situation you didn't stay out there. You immediately listened to your body. You brought yourself in as an experienced water skier. You knew how it should feel. And number two, you are someone as part of your life. You are active because you're active. You listen to your body. You're more in tune with your body than most people, especially those who don't exert as much as you do. You don't just exercise. You exercise hard. So you know what you should feel like. And the fact that you listen to your body, you reached out to the gastroenterologist, you reached out to your cardiologist, you described the symptoms adeptly. So I believe in listening to your story, it's not just about your doctor listening to you. It's also about how you advocated for yourself, how you described your symptoms and how you were in that hallway and said to yourself, I think this could be a heart problem. So Talk to us and tell us after you learned that you had four stints put in, how have you been able to process that? And what have you done to help yourself get through this difficult time? I mean, I, the four stints has been, was hard to swallow, you know, knowing 
that I remember when I was laying in there and he, they were done and he said, I'm going to go talk to your husband. We had to put four stents in and he kind of told me what, you know, again, I was sort of in and out of it a little bit, but I do remember that. And then I said, oh my gosh. And he said, yeah, you had, a, you had one of them was 95% blockage. And I just said, I could have died. And he just kind of looked at me like, yeah. And so, you know, that definitely a hard thing to swallow, but honestly, sort of after this has happened, this happened, the sort of mental and emotional recovery for me has been really the most challenging part. Um, um, the sort of accepting that this happened, um, trying not to dwell on what could have happened, um, but just, you know, again, it goes against sort of everything that I felt like I was like promoting. And I know, I, and I know, I know this was out of my control. This was not something that I wasn't living a lifestyle that created this. Um, I do know that, like I'm, but I also, it's hard to change like how, what you feel like you're representing and what you're, I don't mean it like I'm going to say, I don't mean it like this is going to sound, but kind of what you're selling health and, and fitness and making good choices and keeping your body strong. I talk about being strong all the time. And, and like, I felt like this sort of like went against, I don't want to cry, but it kind of went against everything that I sort of was representing. And, um, so, uh, that has been hard, um, still, but that's getting better. Um, but I, um, I mean, stuff has happened since the procedure that have made it that dragged on the recovery. And I'm still in a process of recovery right now because I'm still dealing with an issue. But what I started to, I mean, I was back to the, I was back to the emergency room three more times after the stents went in. One time my 16 year old daughter had to call an ambulance. Um, and, um, the first time was like four days later and I took my blood pressure and it was high, like, like higher than like high, like the, especially the diet, the, um, uh, I'm like losing my train of thought right now, but it was just high. And, I, um, my husband was down the street and I texted him and he came right home and, I think I started to panic. I know I started to panic. And we went to my neighbors, who's a nurse practitioner, and she took it and she very calmly said, you need to go to the hospital. Like she knew what had happened. And so it was like a, I don't know, Friday or Saturday night or something. And my husband drove me to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, my blood pressure was um, 220 over 110. And the machine, uh, well, I'll tell you that when you go to the hospital, when you go to the ER with a heart problem and having just had stents four days earlier, they get you right in immediately. Um, so <laughs> I didn't have to sit there and wait for long. And they immediately sat me down and took my blood pressure with the machine and um, it started beeping, you know, because it was very dangerously high. And they immediately started poking me to get blood to see if I was having a heart attack. And um, 
couldn't, you know, so nervous. I was freezing, like they couldn't get blood out. Like it was just this whole mess. And they get me back to a room. And I, at that point, I would consider I had my first panic attack. Like I could not control my legs. They were shaking uncontrollably. I was in a state of panic. Um, and they, you know, at one point they, fortunately they let my husband come back. I was so thankful for that. But at one point, I mean, I looked up, there was probably seven people standing around me, like looking at the machine, like trying to figure out what the heck is going on with this girl. You know, she just had stents that shouldn't be happening. Um, they obviously, they admitted me. I stayed the night. Um, no real explanation for why that happened. I mean, I didn't feel stress or anxiety when I took my blood pressure that night. Um, I may have been having it without realizing it, but, um, you know, they ended up releasing me the next day. Everything came back to normal. Like, um, you know, they can take your blood and it can show there's a number that they can look at to see if you're having a heart attack. And mine was slightly elevated, but that can also happen after having stents done. Um, and so, it had already dropped some, it had already dropped down. I mean, it was never, it was never at a level that I was having a heart attack, but it was elevated enough that it made them pause. Um, and then after that, it just became, I mean, I became this different person. Like I was so, I mean, I, it was hard to get through the day. Like I, was um feel like I was sort of like holding on for dear life like just get me through the day I was in constant sort of on the edge of feeling like I was going to panic I thought any you know like you're so acutely aware of your heart when you have a heart problem um it's the organ in your body that you feel and you feel things happening and I was feeling things that didn't feel normal come to find out they aren't they aren't normal, but at the time I didn't know that yet, but I was feeling things and these beatings that didn't feel normal. And it was like, I mean, I mean, I, my cardiologist knew this was going on and he found counseling for me. <laughs> like it was, I mean, I literally, i thought I, I cannot get through the day. I mean, I was, didn't, I mean, I just wanted to like be in the shell. I was like, when you when you have a heart issue, heart patients tend to like want to protect their heart, and I was just sitting crouched, like like my upper back was killing me, and I just felt like I would get up to walk somewhere. And my husband would be like, "Posture, like open yourself up," because I was just crouching around and like trying not doing anything normal. You couldn't have paid me to go to the grocery store or anything like that. Like I just didn't want to be around people. I just didn't want to it just, I don't know. It just, this whole thing was created of, I mean, I just thought I was going to die. I was afraid to walk up the steps, you know, like it just became this thing in my head that just went out of control. Um, so were the symptoms, were the symptoms that you're experiencing then did your cardiologist imply when getting you counseling that it was a mental health issue versus a heart issue or was it both well, because I, I know that often depression follows with um, heart issues, but this sounds like more. So what what was it exactly that was precipitating the heart events? 
I mean, it started off as stress and anxiety, depression, you know, I would sort of waver between feeling just down, but also just, it was more than anything, this anxiety. I had this so much anxiety. I, I, if anyone tells me from here on out the rest of my life, they talk to me about their anxiety or anxiety attacks. I mean, the empathy that I will have is now that I've experienced this is like, I mean, I will have a lot of empathy for people uh, moving forward in my life because I have never experienced anything that I like this ever in my life. Like I, I mean, the stories that I could tell you, the stuff that my husband went, this is what I meant, like by like seeing all his support, the stuff that he had to deal with. I mean, he wasn't leaving the house. He couldn't leave the house. He couldn't go to work. He like, I, or a friend would come over if he had to leave, like he couldn't leave me. I was having, I was like, paralyzed by this anxiety um and i mean and went into multiple anxiety attacks which i you know had i mean shaking like couldn't like could not pull myself together um so it started off has as this, pardon me i was gonna ask, keep going i was gonna ask has that improved like how yes. do you feel like you're, you're dealing with that better now? And if so, how, like, have you seen a therapist? What, what's helped you? I mean, is it getting, you know, feeling stronger, feeling better? What's helped you make progress from that? Cause that's debilitating. And, um, well, there's a know, few things. So, yeah. So the therapist, um, you know, taught me just, I mean, the first time I, you know, it's all been virtual, which has been fine. I, it didn't bother me. Like I was fine with the virtual, um, I mean, literally the first time we met, like we barely even said hi. And she was like working me through like physical things that I could do to like work out the cortisol that was rushing through my body because that's what just kept happening. Like, I mean, it was like, I was in constant fight or flight, constant. Like it just felt like the surge of, and I didn't know what to do with it. So she like, literally the first session was just like, stand up. I want you to do this, you know, squeeze and then shake it out. Like what, you know, all these things, these like, breathing things and all. And she just for an hour worked me through like that and how to try to start to manage it. It wasn't until the second time that, and we almost went the second time like that too, but uh, we were able to actually talk a little bit more the second time. But um, so that, so that like learning some of that help. Um, I am getting, I am not dealing with that now. And, but let's go back to why some of this was happening. So there was, I'm not going to disregard. I was having panic attacks. I was full of anxiety, but in hindsight, a lot of that feeling that was called causing it in my heart was because I was, and still am having AFib problems and they don't know why. So basically it feels like when you're an AFib and again, going back to you're acutely aware of your heart once you have a heart problem, but also I think as athletes and, you know, we are aware, you know, you feel your heart, you, you know, what's happening with it. And I started to have these moments where it felt like my heart was racing and then it would like almost like stop and it'd be really long time. And then it would beat again. And then it felt like it was racing. And then I could feel like, or like these double beats and these things that were happening. And I attributed it in the beginning okay, I'm having a panic attack. I'm having an anxiety attack. And that's what I thought it was. 
which led me down to everything else happening. The cortisol being released, the shaking. I mean, I would literally go into shakes. Like, and so, but it was being sort of precipitated by the fact that I felt something happening. And that's why I would feel this, um, which is when, so as time passed, I, I don't even know how I realized that I was in AFib. Um, I have an Apple watch and it was the day that my daughter had to call the ambulance. I all of a sudden felt something weird and I'd had a better day that day. I remember my girlfriend had come and taken me out to lunch. It's the first time I'd done anything like that. And it was like, felt almost normal. Like I had showered, I'd put on like normal clothes and makeup. And I was like, I'm okay. This is a good step. And I got home from that and I felt something weird and I went into my Apple watch and I registered the fact that I was in AFib. Like it, you can do that on your Apple watch and it, it's accurate. I'm just telling you it's accurate. And, and I registered that I was, and I wasn't really doing anything. I was just kind of, I don't know, I was walking. And I, at my heart rate at that moment was 124 beats a minute, which is awfully high for just doing not much of anything but it said I was an AFib and I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to sit outside. And I got to this point during all of this time of the anxiety of like needing to be outside more. And I like to be, sit on our front porch. And so I was like, I'm going to sit out front and my younger daughter, and my husband were at her soccer game. And my older daughter had said she was taking a nap. So I'm sitting out front and I'm trying to calm myself down and like, just, okay, this is just going to pass. And then I, I couldn't calm down. And so I texted my daughter, my older daughter and said, are you sleeping? And she said, no, I'm just laying here. And I said, I don't feel great right now. Could you come sit with me? I don't think I should be alone. And so she's like, yeah, of course. And she comes down and we're sitting just out front and I'm, and she, and I, I couldn't like, it's just, so by now I'm starting this panic attack and it, it's like this feeling that I could feel myself going that way. It's almost like I was paralyzed. And because I think when you're in this fight or flight, if you don't, you know, either you fight flight or you just sort of like remain still, you know, like that's your, sort of your options. And I was just like sitting there on the front porch and um, she had called my husband, she had called Terry and she's like, she doesn't seem to be doing very well. And, and then he's like, okay, I'll, I'm going to come home. But he was like at the sports, like he had a, a little bit of a drive. And then my daughter said, should I call somebody? And I asked her to call. Um, you guys probably know Trish Stone. Um, she has been amazing during this process and spent a lot of time with me. Um, and so she called her. Um, and she came and said, and she said, my daughter said to her, you don't need to come now. I just wondered if, if you're home, if we need you, if I could call, if we could call you, if we need you. And Tr Trish said, um, I'm just going to come now. And she came over and we sat, we were sitting on the front porch and she was, Trish was trying to calm. She had sort of been through this with me before she'd seen me in it, you know, having these feelings, but I'm checking, I mean, it's still an AFib, like it's not going away. And so they're trying to calm me. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I had this feeling of 
of dread come up. It just felt like it started in my head and went down my body. And it was just like, I don't know how to else how to just describe it, but that was this feeling of like, it was like doom coming over my body. And I thought, and I just said, I looked at Trish and I said quietly, I think I need to, I think you need to call an ambulance. And, and so my 16 year old daughter jumped up, grabbed her phone and called an ambulance. And I don't even, I didn't hear a conversation. She went in the house and she just came out and she said, they said not to eat anything, not to drink anything. If you feel like you might get sick, we need to put you on your side. I didn't feel like I was going to get sick, but I was very close to passing out. Um, I, I should say that when I first went into AFib, when I first registered, I went to AFib. You can, it's amazing that what the Apple Watch can do. I, you can send a PDF to the of the strip of the 32nd strip, you can send it to your doctor. So this was a Saturday and I thought I'm sending it to him. He needs to see what's going on like this, that this is happening. And I thought I'm just going to send it to him. He'll get it Monday. Um, you know, he just can see this so that I can show that I think this is what's been happening to me. I hadn't had any real proof of it until that point. Not that he didn't, but I just felt like something wasn't right. Anyway, they call it, I'm, I'm in the ambulance now. Um, and he calls on my Apple watch. My cardiologist got them, saw it and called me on a Saturday. I'm in the ambulance talking to my cardiologist with the ambulance guy, you know, like trying to get me hooked up to things, trying and like, he's talking to me, he's talking to the ambulance driver. The ambulance driver's like, she's got to go in We her heart, my heart right now. I'm laying there. My heart rate was 150, um, just laying there. And, um, and I was still in AFib. I'd been in AFib by now probably close to two hours. Like it just wasn't going away. He's like, she's got to go in. We got to get this heart rate down. Like, um, he's talking about what he's going to give me to like, sort of get the heart rate down. They're just trying to, again, I get nervous. He can't, I'm already hard to get blood. He's trying to get me poked, get long story short. Uh, um, I went in, they, changed some medication since then I've been on some different medication, but it's still happening. And I'm so back to your original question, how have I gotten past this? So now I know, which is having information is very beneficial. I've been told many times now that this is not, um, they don't know why I'm having AFib. So let me just state that, but having AFib does not necessarily mean you're going to die. And that's what I was convinced of. I was convinced I'm going to die. Now, if your heart rate gets to that level, the 150, that's scary. If it stays under hundred, you know, you just got to kind of like deal with it. Right. I just have to deal with it right now. I have a specialist doctor's appointment coming up in like a week and a half. So, um, so the knowledge of knowing that, knowing what it is, knowing like, okay, okay you just got to stay calm. I'm getting, yesterday, I probably had it four or five times. Like it's happening regularly right now, but knowing what's happening, dealing with it, not, this is going to sound terrible, but like having gone through it and not died helps, <laughs> you know, like it truly does. Like that's good information. I haven't died. Um, and then I've gotten back to exercise and I started doing cardiac rehab at suburban hospital, which I highly recommend. And I mean, the funny thing is like, I did my internship in college with cardiac rehab patients. And I remember thinking to myself, I would never be in this, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's just 
like Ellie, I have to say you're probably the fittest uh, cardiac rehab patient they have ever had. I would have to. Guess. I don't know. By I swear, by that point when I started going there, I mean my, de- I'm very deconditioned by that point. But it, I mean, I did have comments being said like, "You don't look like you belong here," you know. And I'm like, "Well, you just you no, know, you just don't know. No one's invincible, you know. Like things, it doesn't matter. Or like you just don't know what's happening." But, um. But that well, we know you're in good hands at um suburban. We've had Jean Marie Gallagher on our podcast. Um, oh, yeah, yes, and we know that I mean, there's no better place for you to be getting cardiac rehab than suburban hospital. Have you found that to be empowering to be able to do what you love most as part of your rehab? Has that given you sort of a shift in perspective in addition yes. to having the knowledge of knowing what AFib is? Without question. I mean, I, if I didn't start the cardiac rehab, I don't even know if I would be exercising right now. I went there. My whole purpose of going there was just to gain confidence, confidence. And it, and at first it wasn't even necessarily for exercise. It was gain confidence in general, like just walking fast or something. I mean, I got to the point where, I mean, I didn't want to like, like I was scared to do things. And I mean, I remember one day trying to go for a walk on my own and immediately turning around and coming back home because I was afraid to be alone, like walking, you know? And so it gave me the confidence, you know, when I first started going, like, you know, you're hooked up to the monitors, they're taking your blood pressure throughout. And I would be like, just kind of watching the people watching the monitors thinking they're going to see something and something's bad's going to happen, you know, but then you get over that and you just exercise and, 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 and I thinking, okay, if I can get my heart rate up to 150 and I'm fine and no one's telling me, you know, something looks irregular then I know I can go and do stuff on my own. So it's allowed me, it's given me the confidence to know I can do things. I can do things on my own and I can, um, exercise and I can feel good. And I, and I can, you know, I've started, I haven't gone on a run run, but I've gone on walk runs and I'm, you know, even up to like five or six minutes at a time and then walk for a minute and then go again. And like, and I'm just sort of keeping track of my heart rate and making sure I stay within a somewhat, you know, reasonable level. And, and I'm not panicking, you know, like, I'm, and so I think all this together, the knowledge of knowing what's going on, getting back to a more normal lifestyle for me, um, being able to socialize more, I've gotten confidence, like, like there was a time I went to my older daughter's soccer game. And it's like, I didn't even want to, I don't want to talk. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Like I just, I told my husband afterwards, like, feel like I've just lost myself. Like what, like you just, you start to question things. And so all of these things, the knowledge, the exercise, all that has got me back to a way more normal feeling. Um, and I, you know, I don't like that. I'm having this AFib It's very uncomfortable. Like I was trying to sleep last night and I could feel it. And like, it's not, I don't like it. I don't know how people live their lives with it. I give them a lot of credit that people that do, because it is not a comfortable feeling at all. Um, makes me feel lightheaded. It just, I don't like it. Um, so I'm hoping that we can figure out why this is happening and get that under control. So that's sort of the next step. Kelly, do you, um, I mean, it sounds like you're doing better now, especially with kind of the mental outlook, but do you worry about not getting back to your normal self? Like, do you worry about that? Do you worry about not being able to get back to normal, what your normal was? Yes. Yes, but less, you know, like a month ago, 
I wouldn't even have thought I was doing what I, what I, I wouldn't imagine that I could do what I'm doing like now. Um, and that's what my cardiologist kept saying to me too. Like, you just got to start doing a little bit of things because that's going to sort of grow and it's going to make you feel more normal, which is going to make you, it's, you know, it's like the, the snow, you know, like it success builds success. Like the feeling of good makes you feel better. Like, and so you do more, you know, all that sort of this building thing. And so he kept encouraging me to do more. I just, I had to, I had to get to the point where I could have faith, you know, that I was going to be all right. It's a shock, you know, like I listened to your podcast. Is it Rob? Was it Rob? Rob? Rod, Rod, Rod Vera. Yeah. Yeah. So I listened to it, which was really great to listen to his pod, you know, when he, when he was your guest, that was great and super informative. And that was before I was doing a whole lot. So that was great. Um, Rod was our guest. Um, he was our guest in February, 2019. And, um, he shared, I think it was it February, Lisa, I don't have the episode handy. We can, we can link it in the show notes, but Rod was also a patient of suburban hospital cardiac rehab with Jean Marie Gallagher. He suffered a heart attack, um, while mowing his lawn. And, um, unlike you, Kelly, he did not start out as a runner. He was not someone who ran at all. And of course we, um, got to watch Rod cross the finish line his second time at the Boston Marathon just in uh, October, 2021. And we have the pleasure of coaching Rod. Uh, what's different in your case, and, and we hope it, it it's even makes it even, I, we hope more comforting is that you are, are starting with a base in your cardiac rehab. You're someone who came into it fit as a fiddle and um, you teach others, you, you coach others. So um, hopefully listening to Rod's story also provided you with comfort in knowing it can be done. Yeah, it and, was. And Dave McGillivray too. You know, we've had Dave, um, the Boston race director, Dave McGillivray on before, and he's very similar to you. Somebody who's lived a really, really healthy lifestyle. He's run across the United States. He's done Ironman and also had, um, you know, had bypass surgery and he's back back to running. Uh, Boston hasn't missed a year yet. So that, you know, his story is very similar to yours at um, this doesn't discriminate. It doesn't, yes. you know, obviously helps to be in good condition, but it doesn't um, make you immune from, from heart issues. Yeah. And I think hearing those stories are, were, you know, it's good to hear people getting back into their lifestyle or, or even doing things that they didn't do before. And, and so, um, you know, I, this will have changed me. There's no question. This will change me for the rest of my life. Um, and hopefully, some good will come out of it. I think, um, I, I think hopefully, um, maybe I'll be a better trainer and better because of, because that this happened. And, um, I am, you know, very aware of sort of being more appreciative of things, um, and of people and trying, and I hope that that's something that I can carry with me through my life. Um, so, I, you know, it's, it, it's not anything I would have expected, but I'm hoping to make the most out of it and get back to the best that I can be afterwards. I, like I said, I wouldn't have, if you would have asked me right afterwards, will you be back to where you think you want to be? And I, there's no way I'm, my whole life is now changed. And I don't necessarily believe that now. So that's progress. 
Absolutely. I mean, the fact that you're already back to teaching classes, you have a, a roster a schedule and you started teaching strength training classes again through Team Fit about, uh, I think it's been two and a half weeks now since yeah. you started. Yeah. And how, how is that going for you? I mean, it's like the first day afterward, the first class I taught, I almost started crying afterwards. Like it, it's, you know, it, you know, it feels the funny thing, not to go totally backwards, but like during this time when I wasn't exercising, my husband would redo some of my videos and I would hear him in the basement doing my videos with my voice talking. And first of all, I don't like my voice, but that's a whole other story. But I hear my voice. None of us do. None of us yeah. do. We say the same thing when we listen to our podcast. No, we like your voice. We just don't <laughs> yeah. like ours. No, yeah. I know. Like, <laughs> oh, it's the like worst to hear yourself. And I hear myself on these videos and my husband would be doing them downstairs. And it was the weirdest feeling for me because it would feel like that's a different person. Like I will never be that person again. That is a different person doing those, teaching that class then then I will ever be again. So to then actually be doing it is really a great feeling. Um, and it's hard. I am I have lost a lot of fitness. like in in hindsight, I wasn't wasn't I, I feel like it's been since like the end of May since I was really doing anything of significance. And so, you know, I mean, I was doing my classes and stuff, but I could I can like you look back and you can start to see yourself sort of like, not doing as much and it just got worse and worse and worse. So, um, but it feels good. Like I feel I'm sore today. My, you know, like it got to the point where, you know, you do, you do core stuff and I didn't feel it anymore. And now I'm like feeling my abs and I'm feeling things. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. They're still there. We'll get them back. So yes, it does feel good. It feels good. Yeah. So, and what about cross country? Are you um, working with the kids over at Wooten again? And, and yes. what has that been like for you? So I just gave them like an emotional talk yesterday, telling them that without even knowing they gave me a gift. Um, I mean, I started the season and then I had to miss some and then I would go and I'd leave early and, and it's been, I, they don't know all that went on. They just know that I had some medical things. And, um, but I told them like, you don't realize what, like me coming to practice was so good for me. Even on the days I didn't think I could get through it because I wasn't going there and they weren't saying to me, coach Redmond, how do you feel today? Are you okay? Are you okay? You know, they're just like, what, what are we doing today? Um, and that is a great distraction. Like I was so tired of just thinking about myself all the time, just, uh, just talking and thinking about myself and, you know, they go there and you're just focused on what they're doing. Um, we did bring on a third person coach this year because of all the stuff that, and she is, she is a mom of someone that two of her kids ran at Wooten and the other, she had four kids, all four of them did track, two of them ran cross country. And she came on to help us. And that has been a huge gift in itself. Um, and, you know, maybe and hopefully she would stay on in future seasons. Like that's been a great thing too, to have another person that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Um, so, you know, you can really, when you sit down and think, you can always pinpoint a lot of good things. And the thing that I want to say more than anything is people are really, really good. People are really 
nice. Like I have been so moved by the community that I live in, running community, just people that I like the team fit community, like the people that reached out and people that did stuff. And I, I mean, I, I remember once just sitting on the couch and my husband crying, going, people are so nice. Like it just like, I, 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 people are good. And that's just what I want to say. Like, I, I just so feel so fortunate that so many people were so supportive during this and it, you know, there's good to be, there's good to be seen out there. And maybe, you know, so that's a, I think Kelly, it's because you're a good person and you put out a lot of good and you've always put out a lot of good for your communities, all the communities that you're involved in. And you're such a good person that good begets good. So, um, you know, you have a lot of communities um, that care about you and want to see you back healthy and, um, and are inspired by you. And that's why we're grateful. You know, we know you don't like talking about yourself and that it's, it was not entirely comfortable and also nerve wracking to, to come on here and, and really put this out there. And um, we so appreciate you doing that because if it gives one person pause when they have some kind of weird symptom that just doesn't seem right, to motivate them to reach out to a doctor and, and advocate for themselves and find a doctor who listens to them. I think that Julie mentioned that before, like, you know, to have you, you advocated for yourself and you said yourself, you know, you had a doctor that listened to you and took you seriously. Um, that's so important. And so just a good reminder that all of us, if we're active and healthy and we've led these ideal, perfectly healthy lives that we're still susceptible to, to a number of of health issues and it's really incumbent upon us to to be aware of that and you know we're busy parents and we work and we have our kids that we're worried about and our families but um we can't do them any good if we're not there to take care of them so we've got to put ourselves first and that's exactly why i wanted to come on and talk about this is just that you know we're you know if this can help one person if this like you said makes one person pause makes one person go and get um you know, blood work done. And like I said, my cholesterol was not high. My cholesterol in my physical that I had during this whole thing came back that they even noted cholesterol is great. You know, no issues, keep up the great work kind of thing. So, you know, don't just think because one thing comes back um, normal that you're, you know, like you just have to, it's, it's all encompassing. There's, you have to look at the whole picture. It's not, it's not one thing. Um, Again, there's no real explanation why I tend to have arteries that accumulate plaque more easily than others. Most people could live their entire life healthy with the cholesterol levels that I have, um, but I can't. And so because of that, I'm on, well, I'm on a number of medications right now, but I'll be on a statin the rest of my life, even, even having very good cholesterol according to the numbers. So, you know, just... Be aware that there are other factors and it's not all cut and dry. So if that can help one person, then I'm happy to talk about this. No doubt you've helped many. And, and also generally understanding that vulnerability and asking for help and seeking help is a strength, not a weakness. We, we can't control often what, what we're dealt in terms of what happens to our body. We can control how we respond to it. And you embody strength. You have said that you're not the same as you were before. And we'd like to think you're even better because you have even more empathy if that's possible because you've always been an empathetic person. You've always been a strong person. And as Dave McGilvery often has said about his experience and we say this undoubtedly about yours, it's that the comeback 
is going to be sweeter than the setback. And you embody that. And uh, we admire you so much. We always have. And if even possible, we admire you even more. And it takes a lot of strength to come on here and share your story, especially because it was so recent. And we thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you, guys. Um, it's always a pleasure to be with you guys. And um, I really appreciate, you know, letting me tell my story. And, um, you know, you guys are the best. I, you know, you know how much I admire you guys. So thank you so much. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you in person soon and giving you a huge hug, Kelly. Awesome. But until then, good luck to the kids. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on Zoom and uh, taking more of your classes. I thank you so much, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Kelly. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.